The scripture reading is from James chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Well, today we continue the worship series titled, How to Lead a Soul to Christ. You know, the most important thing that we can do as Christians is to have spiritual conversations with people who are lost. Soul winning is the greatest work in the world. And God has entrusted each of us with that. Every believer has this God-given, incredible privilege and amazing and awesome responsibility to lead a soul to Christ. So we start by asking ourselves some very basic questions. Do I care? Am I concerned enough about others and their condition with God? Do I have compassion? Do I care for the lost? And what am I willing to do in order for me to be in a condition where I can lead a soul to Christ. Well, last week I began to teach you five simple steps to learn and use when talking to someone about becoming a Christian. The first one was, can you take your Bible and show them the need for salvation? Can you take the Bible and show someone the need for salvation? A few years ago, I did a lot of substitute teaching, especially in the middle schools, and there was one student who came to me by the name of Susan. Susan always came into class, and she was downcast. She just looked sad, depressed, and she was always complaining. She'd have a headache. She'd have a stomach ache. There'd be some kind of illness. And by talking to her, she began to open up to me a little more day by day. And I soon learned that this girl's mother had had a heart attack about a year earlier and that her father was living in another county with a new girlfriend. Susan had no contact with her father. In fact, she said they didn't get along at all. And so after several conversations, I discovered that Susan was really worried that her mom would have another heart attack and that there would be no one left to care for her and her younger brother. I spent a lot of time trying to encourage Susan. There are many ways to share the gospel. Most people don't really want to hear the gospel, we say. We, we claim that they have their minds tuned out, their hearts closed, but... But I really believe it's just the opposite. I, I really believe that people want to hear the gospel. They have a, a thirst and a hunger to hear it far more than what we think they do. 
Just saying to them you need to hear the gospel doesn't work. In fact, that can sound harsh. It can sound very critical. So good presentation of the gospel begins with that concern, that compassion, that just opening up our ears and and listening and, and talking with them and building relationship with them. So there's all kinds of ways that we can start a conversation about eternal life. Get out your sermon notes, get out the bulletin, write this down. Last week we talked about show the need for salvation. Number two I want to talk about today is share the gospel. Write that down. Share the gospel. So can we take out the Bible and share the gospel? Well, let's start with that mind frame that a lot of people have when they go out into the world. Let's let's start with just that way of thinking that a lot of people walk out and face the daily life, especially we as believers, we often walk out and our mind frame is, is that the word evangelism is scary. Hello? Amen? I mean, we just hear that word and it's kind of like, oh no. You know, some people don't like evangelism. Because they think it's too pushy. Well, the book of James emphasizes how faith has to be in action. And and James really talks about that all throughout his book, but especially here in our lesson, in the Scripture verse for today, he says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save the soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So belief is more than just reading the gospel, the body of Christ, we as believers, we are the hands and feet of the gospel. We're putting that gospel into action. And so faith and trust are being put into action by our footsteps, our our words, the places we go, the things we do, and how we share our own experience with God. Now there are a lot of people who just think, well, all of that should be left up to the pastor. Hello? They think, well, you have to have some kind of seminary training or, or you need some kind of advanced training in order to do that. But that's really not true. Anybody can share the gospel in their corner of the world. Wherever you are at, you share what God is doing in your life and how God has transformed your life. I really like our tradition of being Methodist. And I think there is a rich value in the roots of Wesleyan beliefs and his teaching. And John Wesley taught us there's really three contexts that we do ministry in. And I I believe we could go back and learn a lot from that. He said, number one, there was field preaching. Field preaching. Literally. Going out into the field and preaching anywhere you can get a crowd. And at first, Wesley resisted this. He he didn't much think it was a good idea until George Whitfield showed him how he could draw a crowd and they would come and listen and and sinners were turned to the gospel. And so this field preaching wasn't just limited to a field. It was really uh, expanded to to anybody's home where they would open up their home and have a a, a lesson or, or a message. He'd go to the town square, anywhere he could draw a crowd, He'd stand in the churchyards. He'd go to the coal mines. Any place that he could get a crowd together. And he would stand and he would share what God was doing in his life and the gospel that is found in our Bible. Then he would have Methodist societies or class meetings and 
And I think we can learn a lot from that. I, I think that whenever we go back and we look at what those really were, they were more than just people getting together and, and, and studying a scripture or reading some Bible verses and praying. No, he would ask them, how is it with your soul? How many times has somebody looked at you and said, how is it with your soul? How are you doing spiritually? What things are you struggling with? And they would share those things and, and they would encourage one another and even reprove one another. Hello? Maybe you should go home and look that word up. Reprove one another. And then he'd talk about some relief. Relief for the preachers that were circuit riders, that was out in the circuit, that was going from church to church. How can we relieve their, their needs and, and, and make it better for them? And, and then he talked about relief for the church. What do we need to do for our church that, that needs to be worked on? Some very basic things of, of, of just how do we keep our church going and, and how do we keep our preachers out in the, the, the itinerary and, and out on the circuit. And then he talked about how do we minister to the poor. And then he talked about, he'd say, give me a report on the sick. And they'd start naming all the sick people in the community. And he'd write those down. He'd send people out to visit those sick people, you know, he, he'd actually go and visit those sick people and, and encourage others to do the same. Then he talked about stewardship. He'd say, how, how's the giving in the church? And I think there's some value in looking at all of those things in those class meetings and, and how that he uh, set up the society. And, and uh, so, so John Wesley asked the question. He, he made this statement. He said, listen to what John Wesley said. He said, God is found of them that sought Him not. Let me say it again. Wesley said, God is found of them who sought Him not. In other words, there were people who were receiving the gospel who had never been seeking for the gospel. They were receiving salvation even though they were not seeking to find God. And so I think we have to also have that challenge in the church today is how do we present the gospel to those who aren't seeking to hear and to find the gospel. How do we present the gospel to individuals who aren't looking for the gospel? And I think also we could ask the questions of how do we start these small groups that really hold one another accountable? And, and, and then he went on and he talked about individual visitation. People, individual, everyone visiting. Visiting, individual visitation. Now, how do we have individual visitation without being too pushy? Hello? And how do we have individual invitation, individual visitation, without being too timid? Can I say that again? How do we have individual visitation without being too timid and without being too pushy? Well, see, we have to find this balance between being patient and being bold. We have to find this in between of being timid and being pushy. We have to find this somehow this balance between these two. Today is Ascension Sunday. Did you know that? How many days ago was Easter? 40. 40 days ago was Easter from the resurrection of Christ for 40 days Till today is Ascension Sunday. And we forget sometimes that Jesus stayed on earth 40 days after His resurrection and He taught His disciples 
for those 40 days. And one of the very last things that Jesus did was to give the great commission. Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So disciple-making was one of the very last commands that Jesus gave us right before He ascended back up into heaven. And so, how do we find that disciple-making without being too timid that we're afraid to do it, and afraid we're going to hurt somebody's feelings, and afraid we're going to turn somebody off, afraid we're going to make somebody mad, and so we just don't say anything, we're too timid, and being too pushy. Well, we're going to push somebody away. You know, they're going to think that we're too pushy. So how do we find this balance? If you want to have a spiritual conversation, you start with the right thinking. And that right thinking is something that I believe we have been conditioned out of I believe we've been conditioned so much that we think people don't want to hear the gospel. But I believe everything in the Bible teaches us that God makes the gospel a desire in the lost person's heart and that there's really this harvest. Hello? Can somebody say amen? How many times does the Bible talk about this great harvest that's in front of us? So instead of thinking they don't want to hear it, let's change our false conditioning that they don't want to hear it into the truth that God goes before us, opens the way, makes it possible for us to present the gospel, and they really want to hear it. There are more ripe people that are ready to receive Christ than we could ever think of that there are. The harvest is plenty, and it's plenty right now, today. And God uses every one of us, you, me, every one of us, God is going to use not your friend, not your pastor. They ain't waiting for them. God is going to use you. God wants to use you today to lead a soul to Christ. So, we understand. God creates the opportunity. It's not like we have to create an opportunity to share the gospel. God is going to create the opportunity for you to share the gospel. You just have to look for it and be open to seeing it. Because I'm telling you, friends, it is all around us. Opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel. And so the best question we can ask someone to start a conversation about faith is, what do you do when you're not working at what you work at? <laughs> That's a good conversation starter. You say, what are you passionate about? What do you care about? What do you enjoy doing when you have time to do it? Well, you're going to get some answers like, well, I love old cars. And I know some of you could start a conversation about old cars and, and tell me everything about 57 Chevys to the Studebakers. I, I don't, you could just have a conversation about old cars. Somebody would say, well, my passion is golf. I, I love to play golf. And, and you could tell me everything. Did you know somebody hit a hole in one out here at the Stonecrest the other day at one of the tournaments? And, and see how exciting it would be to just talk to somebody about golf. And, and somebody would say, well, I love to cook. Well, I love to exercise. I'm into healthy eating. I bet there's some movie buffs out there. You know every movie actor, you know, who's a director, you 
know, uh, you, you know the credits of movies. Song, song and music people, they just know. I've ran into people who knew every song. I mean, they, 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 you could just name that tune and, and, and whistle a couple of notes and they just name that tune. I mean, trivia. Some people just love it. They love to watch their kids. I tell you, if you want to open up a conversation with somebody, ask them how their kids are doing in the ball games. Hello? <laughs> See, it's not hard to start up a conversation about something that people are passionate about. And then you look... For where is God in that? Imagine if a person never sees God in the thing that they are the most passionate about and they spend their most time doing. How sad that would be. We have to show them God in the mechanics and the complexities of an automobile. We have to show them God on the golf course. We have to let them see God in the ball games and teamwork and prayers for the game. And so we start these conversations that, that on the surface are just relationship building and then we look for that conversation that's spiritual building and we have to seek these open doors that God opens to us to have these spiritual conversations and there's an urgency about this let me tell you my friends this is one of the things that we have to get in our hearts and minds let me tell you it's urgent that we share the gospel it is so important that we keep sharing the gospel this is one of the most important things we do there's an urgency there's a need to share the gospel in this lost world I was teaching the youth confirmation class this week, and I got some little letters of the alphabet out, and uh, so I was having them spell out words with these letters and discuss the meaning of them. For example, baptism, I'd, I'd have them spell out the word baptism, I'd have them spell out communion. So I got them into two teams, and I gave one on one team, the team leader, a word, and then that team leader had to give his team clues so they would guess the word and spell it out. So, for example, the word baptism, they would give the clue water, burial, sprinkling. They'd guess the word baptism, they'd spell it out. And we'd see who could do that the fastest. And so, like, the next word was communion. They'd give clues like bread, body, and wine, and blood. And so they actually got those pretty good. But then I gave them the word potluck. <laughs> I thought that would be an easy one. But the clue that they gave was leprechaun. <laughs> and clover. And Irish. And green. And they got stuck on potluck. And so I whispered, food. Fried chicken, plates, mashed potatoes, and they could not get the word potluck. Let me tell you, friends, I can't make this up. The team finally gave up. I couldn't believe it that we have a generation 
who has forgotten the meaning or not yet been taught the meaning of the word potluck. I had a youth come up to me later and say, I thought potluck had something to do with weed. <laughs> you can't make this up, folks. I I'm telling you what happened. You see, we're just one generation away from losing the meaning of the word gospel. It only takes one generation to fail to teach the next generation for the church to die. So is it possible that churches are dying because we are the generation that's failing to share the gospel? I'm not making a judgment. I'm just asking the question for our observation. See, people today need to hear the gospel. How is Christ, not just is Christ true, but, but how does Christ work in my story? How does Christ impact my life? I want to go back to our scripture at the beginning. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three, day, three years and a half. Again, he prayed, and the heavens opened and gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? Man, would I love to be able to just pray a prayer, and God would answer, and it not rain, and I'd pray, God, don't let it rain, it don't rain. Hello, anybody want me to pray? We've been in several weeks of rain. Maybe somebody's been praying, Lord, let it rain. I don't know. But how great it would be to be that person. But what do you do when we pray for a loved one not to die? And they die anyway. And the person says, where's God in that? You see, Elijah was a human. Elijah had just said, I've had enough I want to give up. God, take my life. I, you know, I'm no better than my ancestors were. I, I'm just as weak and weary. See, Elijah wasn't the superhero. He wasn't the superpower of prayer. It wasn't Elijah that had this almightiness about him. It was God who caused it not to rain. And it was God who caused it to rain again. See, we forget that sometimes in the miracle, it's not the person, but it's God who's the performer. It's not the person who's the actor but it's God who is the action. So how is God working in my life when a loved one is sick and dying? Where is God when you lose your job and the money dries up? How do we talk to people about God when they've lost their job? How do we talk to a person about being Christian and having faith when their son or daughter was just arrested for drunk driving? Where is God? In that. So take some time to think about where has God showed up in your storm? Where has God showed up in the middle of your struggles with life? When you were sinking and drowning, where did God come into the middle of your circumstance? See, see, I believe 
That the gospel is found in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whosoever believes in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. But I also find God in 1 Corinthians 12.26, where it says members should care for one another, and when one member suffers, then they all should grieve. See, there's something collective about when we're going through the most difficult of times, we share those together. And that's how we see, and that's how other people see God showing up in the midst of our struggles. And so I want to do three things. I want to start three teams. Are you ready? Write this down. I think we should have a care and hug team, don't you? Yeah. Bunch of seniors who just are happy seniors. <laughs> happy senior Christians who have this urgency that when somebody's in the hospital, somebody has a crisis, they just respond to that situation with overwhelming love and presence. When somebody is dying, when somebody is struggling, they share the gospel, they go out and they witness that you are not alone, that we are with you in the hurts and pains, and we're walking through this journey together. I wish we had a care and hug team. I wish we had a Samaritan team. Write that down, Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan saw a man in the ditch and he took care of him. Now, people who were trained in going out and planning visitations to the shut-ins and, and, and planning to meet the needs of those that have emergencies and crises in their life and that would be the first group you know that would respond and say look God is transformational even in our crises even in our injuries and our our, our sickness and our disease and our, our our hurts God is there transforming our world I wish we had a good Samaritan team and then the third team I would have in the church is a Barnabas Andrew Mary Martha team I like that Barnabas means encouragement Andrew means strength and introducer of the gospel, and Mary and Martha focused on discipleship, hospitality, and spiritual formation. I, actually, we've got those three teams. They're called nurture, outreach, and witness. I'm not creating anything new, friends. I'm just defining and describing the work we're already supposed to be doing. I'm talking about our teams doing the very basic thing that we say we're going to be doing in our outreach, our nurture, and our witness. These teams that go out into communities and minister to people and residents about the transformational gospel. I'm not introducing anything new. I'm just saying, do we do the very basic thing that we are called to do and that's share the gospel. So on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being you are on fire, you are super hot, you deserve the Evangelism Award from the Kentucky Annual Conference of Methodist Churches, you are just on fire for God. You, you are a 10 in sharing the gospel. And zero being, I never talk to anybody about believing. I never share my faith. I don't try to ever ask anyone to receive Christ. I never speak out. Zero, I don't do anything beyond the walls of the church. I don't take part in small groups. I don't have any people in my life that I'm trying to win to Christ. I'm a zero. I want you to think about where are you from zero to ten. And now I want you to say, what would it take to get me to move up just one step? If that's not something to pray about, I don't know what is. I'm convinced the biggest obstacle to friends coming to faith 
is a lack of sharing the gospel and the absence of real conversation and invitation to prayer and accepting Jesus Christ. That's the biggest obstacle. Would you pray about that with me this morning? Show others the need for salvation. Share the gospel. Let's bow our heads as we pray.